And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, we'll conclude My Friend Irma, starring Marie Wilson from 1948. Then real-life husband and wife Elliot and Kathy Lewis star in a strange and mysterious story by The Whistler from 1945. By my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. You know what's really interesting? What? On this particular episode of Hollywood 360, we'll listen to the conclusion of My Friend Irma in a moment, and you'll hear Kathy Lewis in a comedy role as Jane Stacy, the roommate to Irma Peterson. Then you're going to hear her, along with her real-life husband, Elliot Lewis, in a very dramatic, mysterious uh, broadcast of The Whistler. So it's kind of a... Double Kathy Lewis show here. The mark of a true actress. Well, that. yeah, she was an amazing act. She's on so many radio shows. It's unbelievable. So um, let's uh, let's go back now and tune her in along with Marie Wilson in the conclusion to Irma Wants to Join a Club on My Friend Irma. Well, Mrs. Huntington, I guess that about covers it. From business college, I went to work for Mr. Rhinelander, and I've been there ever since. Well, Miss Stacy, allow me to congratulate you. You have an excellent record, and it's a pleasure to welcome you as a member of our organization. And, uh, by the way, Jane, do you bowl? Why, yes. Good. We're having a tournament tonight, and we'd like to have you try out for it. Our team is a little weak. Oh, I'd love to. I wonder if I might ask you a favor. I uh, I room with a girl named Irma Peterson. She'd like very much to join the club, too. Is there a chance? Well, as a matter of fact, there is. I turned down an applicant this morning, a Miss McHugh. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, I'm glad for Irma, but I'm sorry it has to be at the expense of someone else. Well, you know the requirements of the club. And, uh, frankly, when I interviewed this Miss McHugh, she turned out to be the dumbest girl I ever met. <laughs> You mean there are two? <laughs> Pardon? Uh, I'll have Irma here in an hour. Oh, that won't be necessary, Jane. Now, I'm going to be in your neighborhood this afternoon, and I'll drop in on Miss Peterson then. Fine, fine. Then I'll see you there. Oh, I'd rather you didn't. You see, I like to conduct the interviews in private. Uh, it saves embarrassment. I often hear things that make my hair stand on end. Well, I know you're going to look very stunning in your new upsweep. <laughs> Huntington. She's going to drop in on you this afternoon. Oh, that's wonderful, Jane. What shall I do? Well, first of all, get rid of Al. Mrs. Huntington doesn't like anyone around during the interview. Oh, but I'll need someone to help me, and Al knows all about interviews. Irma, the only interviews he'd be familiar with are the ones where two people are separated by a screen with a guard standing by. <laughs> if you want to become a member of the club, now let Mrs. Huntington do the talking. You just listen, 
And remember now, honey, she's an important person, someone to look up to. Uh, all right, Jane, I'll sit on the floor. <laughs> Goodbye and good luck, Irma Peterson. What's the matter, chicken? You look upset. Well, Mrs. Huntington is coming here to interview me for the club, and Jane says I should be alone. What does Jane know, chicken? I'll stay here with you. When we're finished talking to that dame, you'll get into that club unanimously. Unanimously? Nothing doing. I want to use my right name. Well, now I'm a full-fledged member of the Women's Professional Club. I've reported to the captain of the bowling team, and for the past hour I've been practicing. With my first ball, I knocked over six pins. Guess I'm a little rusty. You see, the pins were in another alley. Gee, I'd like to go home and relax, but I can't because Irma's being interviewed by Mrs. Huntington. I hope she gets into the club. I think she might make it because Irma's a sweet kid as long as she's not under the influence of Al. Now look, chicken, you're a lucky girl that you got me to influence you. Oh, I realize that, Al. Yeah, now this Mrs. Huntington will be here any minute, and I want you to be calm. Oh, but I'm so nervous, Al. Why, chicken, haven't you ever belonged to a club before? Well... When I was a little girl in Minnesota, I, I was a campfire girl. Well, did you do anything to make them remem remember you? Yes, I burned down the fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, I have to cover up for you, chicken. And, and so that Mrs. Huntington will think that you're hep the clubs, I will teach you a secret handshake. Now, this handshake starts out just like any other, but as you pull your hand away, you gently squeeze the fingers of the other person's hand. Now, let's try it. All right. I shake your hand like this, then I squeeze. Oh, Al, I got your ring in my hand. Taught you the wrong handshake. <laughs> well, Mrs. Huntington will be here any minute, and I just don't know how to behave. Oh, gosh, I can't go through with this. Chicken, you're getting excited over nothing. Just treat her like she was an old friend of yours. Now, what would you say if you just bumped into an old friend? Excuse me. <laughs> no, chicken. Just say, um, hello, Mrs. Huntington. I'm glad you dropped in. Sorry the places that you miss, but with so many clubs giving you the rush act, you haven't had time to clean up. You got it? I think so. Uh, just a minute. Now, let's see. Uh, glad you dropped in. Place such a mess. Clubs. Rush act. Having time to clean up. Got it. Uh, come in. How do you do? I I'm Mrs. Huntington. Hello. I'm sorry you haven't had time to clean up. Pardon? <laughs> um, chicken. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been rushing so... Well, you know how it is getting ready for a mess. <laughs> Girl has a great sense of humor, Mrs. Huntington. <laughs> mm. uh, won't you uh, have a seat? Thank you. Uh, are you Miss Peterson? Yes, thank you. And this is Al. He's my fiancé, thank you. <laughs> Delighted. Thank you. Uh, Mrs. Huntington, I realize you wanted to be alone with Chicken for the interview, but you see... Just a moment. Uh, you call her Chicken? Yeah, well, you see, we feel darling is vulgar. Should only be used in a mixed crowd. Yes, you know, Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> oh, well, really, I'm a little confused. Oh, we'll get along famously. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, we'd like to know a little something about your background. Uh, where were you born? In Minnesota. Uh, what part? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I, I was really born in Minnesota, but we had a big farm, and part of it was in Wisconsin. Interesting. Yes, I guess that's why a lot of people say I'm a borderline case. <laughs> I, uh, I see. Uh, now, um, now, what is your present occupation? I work for Mr. Clyde. Uh, what does he do? Oh, he's a lawyer. 
I see. And um, how long have you been with Mr. Clyde? Well, let me see. When I first went to work for him, he had curly black hair. Then it got gray. Now it's snow white. I guess I've been with him about six months. <laughs> Madam, I, uh, I hate to inject myself into this here conversation, but what Chicken means is that due to her efficiency, he quadrupled his work. <laughs> Why, Chicken here is the cornerstone of Mr. Clyde's organization. Isn't that right, Chicken? Well, Al, I like to be modest. Uh, uh, Mr. Clyde doesn't exactly say I'm like a cornerstone, but he has said I had a head like a rock. Please, Chicken, you'll have to excuse her, Mrs. Huntington. She gets a little flustered. But if you want a swell member for your club, I would advise you to act fast. I certainly will. Goodbye. Oh, gee, Al, uh, do you think I made a good impression? Impression? Believe me, Chicken, you made a dent in her. I got a feeling you're home and you're going to stay there. Oh, Jane, I'm dying to tell you the good news. Uh, Mrs. Huntington was here, and Al says I'm home. And for keeps. I just left Mrs. Huntington. She went straight to the bar and ordered six martinis. <laughs> well, what did she say about me? When I mentioned your name, she ordered six more. <laughs> and this from a woman who has never touched a drop in her life. Oh, gee, Jane, she must really be happy to, to get me as she celebrates like that. Irma Peterson, don't you realize what you've done to me? And after the way I recommended you? Jane, I wish you wouldn't talk to me that way. After all, we belong to the same club. Irma, can't you understand? Not only weren't you accepted, you were condemned. <laughs> you mean I, I have no chance of getting in? Honey, I've got news for you. You couldn't get into that club if the building was on fire and you passed by with a bucket of water. <laughs> oh, Jane, I'm sorry. I ruined everything. Oh. Well, honey, you you have only yourself to blame. Yeah, I've got to go out and meet the girls because we're going bowling tonight. Oh, Jane, don't leave me alone. Why not? Well, if I'm here all alone, I'll have to talk to... Oh, I'll have no one to talk to but myself, and if I get into an argument, I don't know which side to take. <laughs> honey, don't be ridiculous. Besides, I already promised the girls at the club that I'd bowl with them tonight. But, you know, I'm afraid to be left alone. Oh. Well, wh why don't you get Al to take you to a movie? Oh, movies, balconies. I'm not in the mood for love. <laughs> Come in. Hiya, chicken. Hello, Jane. Oh, Al, for once I'm glad to see you. Irma, you've got Al to keep you company now. Why, what's the matter? Didn't chicken get into the club? No, she didn't. Can't understand it. Thought I really poured it on her, Mrs. Huntington. You not only poured it on, you hit her with the bucket. <laughs> now, Al, you stay right here and keep Irma company until I get back from the bowling tournament at the West Side Bowling Alley. So long, kid. Well, I feel disgraced. I'm socially tabooed. Chicken, taboo is a perfume, and right now your chances don't smell that good. <laughs> but we're not going to take this here lying down. No woman's club's going to kick my girl around. This is a man's job. And there's only one man who can help us. Who else? Who else but... Hello, Joe? <laughs> Al, got a problem. How do you get into a place where you're not wanted? What? You haven't got that problem? You're wanted in all 48 states? <laughs> no, Joe, you don't understand. Irma's trying to get into a club. Now, if she was a good bowler, I think she could swing it. How does a dame learn to bowl fast? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. Thanks, Joe. You're a pal. It's things like this that endear you to your fellow man. There must be a reward for you. 
Oh, there is, and your friends are trying to collect it. <laughs> Goodbye, noble friend. Come on, chicken. Joe has given me the angle. We'll go down to that bowling alley and make them dames sorry they ever turned you down. Oh, Al, I'm so excited. I never bowled before. I just can't wait until I jump over the net and congratulate the pin boy. <laughs> well, I'm at the bowling tournament, and what is going on? I can't begin to describe. The entire crowd is at the far alley watching the greatest bowler you have ever seen. And who is it? Irma Peterson. Now, this I can't understand, because not only has Irma never bowled before, but the one time I took her to a bowling alley, she refused to even lift the ball because she said it was imperfect, it had holes in it. <laughs> and now there she stands. She's winding up like a cross between Bob Feller and a broken windmill. And there goes the ball. And there go the pins. All of them. And that makes her fifth straight strike. Well, I couldn't understand it, so I said, Irma... Irma, where did you learn to bowl like this? You're just sensational. And Irma said... Oh, it's easy. I just throw the ball and close my eyes. Close your eyes? Yes. But why? If I hit anybody, I don't want any witnesses. <laughs> well, not only has this knocked me off my pins, but the president of the bowling team has come over and said... Miss Stacy, forget about Mrs. Huntington. We want your roommate to bowl on our team tonight. Now you tell her that she's admitted to the club and get her to sign this application blank, and we'll lead her off in the tournament right now. All right. All right, you're the president. Irma. Irma, I have wonderful news for you. What is it, Jane? Irma, you've been taken into the club. Club. But I've got to know one thing. Why is it that no matter where you roll a ball, all the pins fall down? Well, don't ask me. Ask Al. He's the pin boy. <laughs> well, we were in it. We had to stay in it. That is, Irma and I remained members of the club for almost 15 minutes. You see, Al kind of got his timing mixed up. Irma led off for our side and made a perfect strike. Except for one small technicality. Al knocked all the pins down before the ball left Irma's hand. <laughs> well, anyway, now we're ex-club members. I feel terrible, but Irma is convinced she's an athlete. In fact, right now she's taken all our pills and all our medicine and poured them into a pillowcase. For goodness sakes, Irma, what are you doing? Well, I'm going into training and I'm making a medicine ball. <laughs> you know, speaking of medicine, there's nothing that will ever cure my friend Irma My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lieber Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy and starred Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. That's my friend Irma from May 17, 1948, with Irma Wants to Join a Club, starring Marie Wilson. Also in that cast, Kathy Lewis, John Brown, and Hans Conried. That was sponsored by Swan Soap, as heard on CBS. Right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll hear Kathy Lewis in a very different kind of role in a mystery on The Whistler, along with her husband, Elliot Lewis, right after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. 
Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360, coast to coast, on about 200 radio stations. Make sure you check out our website at hollywood360radio.com. That's where you'll find a podcast of this show. Every week, we have the four-hour Hollywood 360 show at our website, hollywood360radio.com. So check that out. All right, it's time now for one of the greatest mystery series of all of radio. Came to radio 1942. The Whistler was sponsored for most of its run by Signal Oil. And Bill Foreman really had the role of the Whistler the longest, although there were other actors, including Gail Gordon, who played the Whistler. There were nearly 700 radio broadcasts. It made a brief transition to television. And there were even eight Columbia Pictures made from 1944 through 1948. But it was on radio that it really enjoyed its greatest success. And we have an episode for you now starring Elliot Lewis along with his wife, Kathy Lewis, in a show called Seascape. Let's go back to January 22, 1945 for part one of The Whistler. The Signal Oil Company and your neighborhood signal dealer bring you another curious story by The Whistler. Tonight, Seascape. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Presently, I'll tell you of nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. The Atlantic coastline from the Gulf of St. Lawrence south to Cape Hatteras and beyond is a treacherous one. An ever-present threat to the thousands of vessels which have for centuries moved in streams in and out of American ports. And the keepers of the lighthouses there are men with an awful responsibility. Men who must not only fight the perils of the storm, but must battle continually against the loneliness and despair of their vigil. It's not a very attractive life. No, especially for a girl like Madeline Murray, who six months ago came to live with her new husband, Richard, at their lighthouse. On a rocky island off the coast of northern Maine. Good Lord. Let's listen to that wind. Yes, Richard. I hear the wind. Things have been quiet for too long. You know, I got a strange feeling something's going to happen. I wish it would. Oh, now, Madeline. Well, I do. Anyway, I can't help it, Richard. I'm so weary of the same old rocks and ocean I could almost scream. In six months, six long months. Of I know, I know. But I tried to tell you before we. Yes, you did. I admit everything. You were honest and above board. You said it would be lonely and cold and silent, and I said it didn't matter. That doesn't help me now. It's driving me crazy, I tell you. I'm... Oh, please, Madeline. All right, all right, I'm sorry. Like all the other times. But I've done everything I can. Yes, what? Well, for example, why didn't you go into Bango for a vacation that time? I told you you were free to go. And Aunt Elizabeth would have been glad to have you. Oh, I just didn't feel like going. But why? It's just what you want. Oh, don't ask me why. I just didn't feel like going, that's all. Madeline, look at me. You don't love me anymore, do you? 
No. Furthermore, I never did. Well, you can... You can go if you want to, Madeline. I can't go, Richard. I'm going crazy. I want to, but I can't. Why did you marry me? You want the truth? Yes. All right. I can't go. I've got to stay here for another year. Maybe longer than that. The last place in the world they think of looking for me. Looking for you? What do you mean? Who? The police. Police? I killed a man, Richard. Oh, no, you couldn't. Yes, but I did. You have to believe it. And after I killed him, I ran away. I didn't know which way to turn. I didn't until you arrived on the scene with your lighthouse. Who was it? Man I loved once. Murderous. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> That's why I married you, Richard. Now, what are you going to do about it? Why did you have to tell me? Because I don't care anymore. Do you understand? Matter of fact, I think the state prison has a lot of advantages over an acre of rock and a flock of seagulls. They'd hang you. Maybe. It has its advantages, too. You'll find out very soon. There's only one thing to do, Madeline. All right, fine. Radio the police. They'll send me to prison, Richard. But at last, I'll be free. That's a laugh, isn't it? <laughs> I'll be free of this rock. <laughs> you. <laughs> That's the first portion of The Whistler. More after these words. Hi, this is Carl Amari. These classic radio shows are direct from master recordings and digitally remastered. We license these classic radio shows from the owners and estates for the privilege of using their master recordings as our source material so that we can pass that great sound quality on to you. Oh, you can find classic radio shows sold on the Internet from companies that are not authorized to sell them, but you'll often be disappointed by the inferior sound quality. If you enjoy listening to and collecting great sound quality classic radio shows, we've set up a website just for you at ClassicRadioStore.com so you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to download your favorites to your smartphone, computer, or any listening device. We offer thousands of digitally remastered classic radio shows, uncut and unedited, including the original commercials, delivered to you instantly via digital download. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to The Whistler. Yes, Richard, there's only one thing to do. Radio for the police to come and get her. That's the law, Richard. To do otherwise would be to shelter a fugitive from justice. That's what you're thinking as the long hours tick away in the stillness of your bedroom. You remember a lot of things now. The night you wandered into the Staghorn Inn six months ago and found her there at a table, looking as if she'd been crying. And how you had tried to comfort her without much success until, at last, you had explained your lonely existence at the lighthouse. It was a different story then, wasn't it? Almost as if she'd suddenly got an idea. She was interested then, yes. 
Enthused about the paintings you brought to town, the seascapes you'd painted during the long, lonesome days there at the top of the point. Remember how she said she was tired of the city and longed to get away from it all, just as you did. And it didn't take her long, just two days to be exact, before you were sailing back to the lighthouse with your new bride. But that was six months ago. And now you know the truth. Madeline is a murderess. It's the next day. The nor'easter hits with full fury. But you hardly hear it as you sit and stare out of a window at the top of the tower. Hello, dear. Lonesome? Madeline, please. Oh, why so gloomy? After all, I'm the one who's going to prison. I... I still can't believe it. Oh, you will in time. Now, if you were a good husband, you'd be bustling around the house arranging a going-away party for me. You're not going away. You mean you didn't send the radio no, message? No, no, I couldn't. Oh, you love it. That's why, isn't it? Isn't it? Go away, will you? Well, certainly that's it. You couldn't bear to see me go. <laughs> you couldn't take it. Could you? All right, so I couldn't. But nobody else will get you. At least you'll be mine. Look! Out there off the point. Good Lord. There's a man out there in a skiff. He won't last five minutes in that surf. What's he doing? He's waving an oar. Give me that megaphone. He needs help. Take the lead, guy! You can't land on those rocks! That wave! Yes, he's going to get it. I'm going down there. Maybe I can help. Here, here you go. That's it. He'll be okay in no time. Thanks. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, here you are. Sit on the couch. Got to get these clothes off. Cold. I'm cold. Oh, oh he's passed out. Better cover you up, old man. You're all in. There you are. Where's the hot water? Is he hurt badly? Yeah. <gasps> What's the matter? I don't know. Yes, he's hurt pretty badly. Bad gash on the head. Give me the brandy. Quick. Yes, yes, the brandy. He's chilled to the bone. Lucky, though. See, he seemed to pick him up and toss him over the reef. Here you are. Ah, that's it. We'll warm him up in a jiffy. What's the matter with you, Madeline? You're shaking like a leaf. Can't be. Huh? What are you talking about? Not a coincidence. Not here. There must be a reason. You know him? Yes. His name is Adams. Blake Adams. He was with me on the night I killed the man. Yes, Madeline, the night you killed a man was a night neither you nor Blake Adams will forget for a long time. You're thinking now, as Blake lies there unconscious, of the afternoon the wire came from Maxie, saying he was just passing through town. Casual he was, just as if he hadn't run out on you, as if nothing had ever happened, just as if he were looking up a dear old maiden aunt. And when you told Blake about it, you were glad you couldn't read your mind, because it was full of murder... The way to do it didn't come to you, though, until Blake suggested you ask Maxie up to the apartment for a drink, just for old time's sake. Then it was as clear as a blueprint. Maxie was strictly a one-drink man, but this time one would be enough. So it's natural you're wondering about Blake and how he came to crack up right on your doorstep. It's been six hours now since Richard brought him in. And you, Madeline, haven't left his side. And he seems to be stirring. Uh, oh, my head. 
What happened? Where am I? Don't sit up, son. Don't sit up. There, that's it. Can't see very well. Lucky to be here at all. Here, take a drink of this. Thanks. How did you? Madeline. Yes. Surprised? I'm not exactly. I'm surprised to see you, Blake. Oh, what happened? Lie back now, now. You're a good patient. You've got a bad gash over your eye. Yeah, the rocks now, I remember. That skiff. You must have been out of your mind to go out in a storm like that. I had to see you, baby. About Maxie. That's it, isn't it? They know about Maxie. What do you mean they know about Maxie? He died of indigestion, that's all. Maybe. Maybe not. I hope that's what they think. I don't know whether poor Maxie could stand a post-mortem. Wait a minute. I remember now. You mixed the drinks that day. Yeah, the glass with the red ring on the top. I was to make sure he got it. Who examined him? Doc Cranston. He treated him before for indigestion. Same symptoms, same everything. So you poisoned them. In the drink. <laughs> What's so funny about that? I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> Couldn't figure out why you ran away. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't see you do it. You poured all of our martinis out of the same shaker. There were olives in the glasses already, weren't there? Yeah. I get it. Poison in the olives. So that's why you're here. You don't think it's because I like lighthouses, do you? You tell me why you're here. What happened? To get on the wrong streetcar or something? There's no use telling you, baby. You wouldn't believe me. You try me and see. Okay, here it is. I traced you here through the guy who sold your house for you. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, with Maxie gone, I... I mean, I... Well, well, come on, come on. Well, you're making it tough. We were pretty good pals once after he ran out on you that time. Wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me... Yeah. I'm trying to tell you that I love you, baby. Since way before you met him, I tried to tell you a couple of times, but I guess I'm not the Charles Boyer type. It's twice as hard now. It was all my fault, Blake. I couldn't see very well in those days. I know. I, I don't know what to say. I know I'm not much of a prize, Madeline, but you could do worse. Blake. Yeah? This is on the square. What can I do to show you? Honest, baby, I'll do anything. Oh, this is another blind alley. I'll die. It's not a blind alley, honey. It's a four-lane highway. There's one thing you can do. What's that? You can kiss me. So, Blake and Madeline have found each other out in the lonely lighthouse off the coast of Maine. And it doesn't seem to matter now that it took a murder to place their feet firmly on the four-lane highway... Leading over the horizon. No, Maxie's death doesn't matter to them now. They only think of leaving the lighthouse in the cold gray ocean and Richard. What about that? What about Richard? The only other one who knows about Maxie. He's just returned from a trip to the mainland for supplies, and Madeline greets him at the entrance of the lighthouse. Well, back on time. Hello, Madeline. I was a little anxious for you. The channel's so rough today. Anxious for me? Afraid I wouldn't make it or that I would. Oh, please don't, Richard. Not today. I'm just being practical, my dear. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll change oh, my wait, clothes. Oh, wait. Just a minute, please. Something I want to talk to you about. About Blake Adams. Oh, yes. The patient. How is he? Well, he's almost well enough to go. Too bad. You seem to be quite fond of him. Yes, Richard, I am. I love him and I want to go with him. What? We haven't told you because we planned to simply take the boat some night while you were asleep. You're out of your mind. You'd be picked up in a minute. They don't know about the murder, Richard. He, 
He, he died of natural causes. Mm. You're free? I mean that the three of us are the only ones who know. That's why I'm telling you we're going. Oh. A worm turns, eh? What was it you said a while ago? What am I going to do about it? You wouldn't go to the police now, would you? So I'm holding the strings at last. I'm a little more important to you now, huh? Richard, I love him. You've got to believe me. You don't know what love is. You can take your choice, Madeline. Stay here with me or hang. Thanks, huh? What? It's hard to believe today that I cracked up right out there, just like a mill pond. What's eating you, Madeline? I don't know. Maxie, I guess. Oh, forget it. You know, we ought to take off tomorrow. I'm feeling pretty solid. What about Richard? I'll leave him here with his lighthouse. He'll never miss you. I told him about us. He doesn't want me to go. So what? What can he do? Well, he could tell the police what really happened to Maxie. What? You mean he knows? I told him about the night of the wreck. He says if I leave, he'll go to the police. Did you see, dear? How could I know you were coming? Seem to matter whether I lived or died. He couldn't testify against you, but listen. Does he know you poisoned Maxie? I didn't tell him how. Good. He won't be suspicious of his coffee, for instance. What do you mean? Yeah. It's a gamble, but we got a chance. We need twenty-four hours. Listen, it's about three hours from the dock on the mainland to the airport. I got a pal over there with a plane. We can make Miami in nine hours with luck and catch the clipper to Rio. I'll leave tonight and get everything set up. I ought to be back here by 8 in the morning. That's where you come in. You mean Richard? Yeah. You gave me some sleeping powder when I first got here. Is there any left? Yes, I think so. It's in the medicine cabinet. Okay, you take care of his breakfast. A good long doze won't hurt him. When he wakes up, we'll be halfway to Rio. Just one thing. Don't give him too much. He's got to live. And so, all that night after Blake's departure, Madeline thinks about the job she must do, and of his strange interest in Richard's welfare, the way he emphasized his warning about an overdose. Richard must live, he said. But why? Blake had never been so humanitarian. No, Madeline, you don't sleep much that night, and it's about five o'clock in the morning when your eyes finally close. Suddenly you wake. You jump into your robe and slippers. Yes, it's 7.30 and Richard's bed is empty. Oh. Good morning, Richard. Oh. Hello. The door is missing. Our good patient has left. Or am I telling you anything? Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> Don't try and play innocent, sweetheart. Just what have you got up your sleeve? Well, he must have left after our talk yesterday. I, I told him I was going to be... Detain here. Oh, I see. He's an ungrateful wretch sneaking off that way after I saved his life. So you've decided to be a good wife after all, eh? I'll fix your breakfast. Oh, don't bother. I've had it. What about coffee? No, thanks. But... I had a rotten night. I couldn't sleep a wink. I'll leave you alone, my dear. I'll be up at the light. Well, uh, darling, I was hoping you'd have breakfast with me. Won't you? Well, aren't we considerate? <laughs> I'm sorry about everything, Richard. You know, I could almost believe you if I didn't know you better. That was so wrong, Richard. I lost my head, I guess. Very well. Have your breakfast and come up to the light. There's something I want to tell you. And if you're still bent on being the perfect wife, you can mix me a bromide for this headache. I yes, Richard. Right away. 
sour taste. This is a different brand. I guess so. Now, about Blake. He knows all about your your past? Yes. And are you sure of him? Well, what do you mean? This. Well, an article has been torn out. Now, off the front page. You can still make out the tips of the top headline. Go on, look at it. Well, what about it? It said reward offered. Does that suggest anything to you? I don't know. How sure are you that your little escapade is a dead issue? Oh, you're wrong. He wouldn't do it. I know him. Oh, I don't know. People do strange things for money, Madeline. For instance, at this very moment, he could be telling some interesting things to the police. You got that paper yesterday. What did the article say? Unfortunately, I hadn't got around to reading it. You know, it wouldn't surprise me a great deal to discover you might be a bit hotter than you think. Well, I think I'll go down and take a short nap. Wake me at ten, will you? It's almost nine and still no sign of Blake. Madeline tries to shrug off the suspicion in her mind, but it's there to stay and it keeps growing, growing, growing. It's ten now, and while Richard sleeps downstairs, you pace the floor. No, no, he wouldn't do that to you, but where is he? What could keep him this long? It's a double cross. It must be. Yes, so why did he warn you against the overdose? Richard is precious to him, that's why. They don't pay rewards on arrest. They pay off on conviction. And Richard knows enough to convict you. Blake isn't coming back. The next thing you will see is a boatload of police. Yes, that's it. The launch down at the landing. Your only chance. Maybe you can make it before they get here. You can just get to the mainland. Now to find your small pistol and slip it in your purse. And now down to the launch. But wait a minute. There's a boat coming in. It's Blake, and he's alone. Grab the line, honey. Here you go. Where have you been? Oh, fancy knocks this time. We won't be here long. You all set? You're late. Yeah, I know. It wasn't as easy as I thought. You take care of him? Yes. What's the matter? I don't know. Come on, I stop out know. of it. The plane's all fixed. We'll be in Miami tonight. It cost me 500 bucks. Wait a minute. You were careful with the sleeping powder, like I said. Yes, just like you said. Why did you say it? What do you mean? Why were you so interested in Richard's health? Oh, one murder rap is plenty in my league, baby. Come on, we gotta go. Wait a minute, I've been thinking, Blake. Now, wait a minute. Something I found up in the house started me thinking. Well, think on the way. We haven't time to be standing around passing the time of day. Come on. Just a minute. It was a newspaper with an article cut out about a reward. Where did you find that? You I... tore it out, now, didn't you? They're offering a reward for me. No, you're wrong, baby. They're not offering a reward for you. There was something in it I didn't want your husband to see. Here, look. Does this make you feel any better? Receipts for the charter plane and two reservations to Rio. Does that look like a double cross? I don't know. You've got to believe me. But we can't stand here arguing. All right, I'll... I'll get my bag. He's meeting us down the coast a few miles with a car. I thought it'd be safer. Put that boat back there. Where? Oh, fishing boat, I guess. It's, it's following us. No, it couldn't be fun. Holy smoke. Oh. For sure. That's a Coast Guard cutter. Oh, I was right, wasn't I? What do you mean? You thought you could lie your way out of it, didn't you? I've heard of some rough tricks, but this one takes the prize. You think you're all set now with the police moving up in your star witness back at the lighthouse? Madeline, you're wrong. Listen, put that gun away. You're way off the beam, I tell you. I'm straight, baby. I'm for you. Oh, you're for me, all right. 
for the money I can bring you in court. Look, I have nothing to do with this. Look, I'll tell you now, it won't make any difference to either of us. That article and... You're making a big mistake, baby. Just give me a minute. And fed up with your lying, Blake. You and your four-lane highway to Rio! Come on, They won't need a detective for this one. For a lying rat. Right under the nose of the Coast Guard. Madeline! It was too bad that Madeline didn't wait a few seconds longer. For she would have saved herself a great deal of trouble and a long term in the penitentiary. But that's the way Madeline always did things. Jump first and think afterward. That's why she ran away a few minutes after poor Maxie took the drink and died, before anyone noticed that he had drunk the martini, but had left the olive she had poisoned untouched. And that's why she shot Blake, before he had a chance to tell her that it was he the police wanted for Maxie's murder. Yes... He had had the same idea that day. And he put poison in Maxie's martini, too. And that was the poison that killed him. Because it was in the drink itself. You see, he really loved Madeline. And Maxie was the only one between them and the four-lane highway over the horizon. And when at last the poisoning was discovered, the poison traced and the reward offered for his apprehension, Blake knew he'd have to run away. That perhaps there in the lighthouse she hadn't heard of it and would go with him. That's why Richard had to live. Because after all, it... it wouldn't do to have a murder rap hanging over her head, too. Would it? Next Monday at 9 o'clock, the Signal Oil Program will bring you another strange tale by The Whistler. The Signal Oil Program is broadcast for your entertainment by The Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal's famous go-farther gasoline and motor oil. And by your neighborhood Signal Oil dealer, who is at your service daily to keep your car running for the duration. The Signal Oil program, produced by George W. Allen, with story by Vic Kushner, music by Wilbur Hatch, is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Bob Anderson speaking for your friend, the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's The Whistler with Seascape from January 22nd, 1945, starring Elliot and Kathy Lewis, sponsored by Signal Oil, as heard on CBS. Let's take a break. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next week, it's Mark Trail, the Jack Benny program, X-1, Family Theater, Burns and Allen, and Suspense. For my team here at Hollywood 360, thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.